Hello and welcome back and thank you for tuning in to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Chuck Wexler, the Executive Director of PERF, the Police Executive Research Forum based in New York. PERF is an international resource for the betterment of law enforcement issues, training, and relations. Welcome, Mr. Chuck Wexler. It's important, I think, for a lot of our listeners, a lot of line officers and um, first line level supervisory officers to hear about what PERF does and how you bring uh, people together and how you discuss the topics. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization? Well, we've been around for over 45 years. Um, and, you know, if you think about policing, um, the, 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 there's 18,000 some odd police depart- departments in the country, sheriff's departments and so forth. About 75% of them are agencies of under 25. And back then in the 70s, when PERF was created, there was a sense that there needed to be an organization that recognized, uh, focused on, you know, inner city kinds of issues. Uh, not that that is di- not as better or worse than, you know, what uh, a lot of departments do, the smaller agencies, but they just have a different kind of challenge. They have violent crime, they have investigations, they have, you know, um, immigration issues, they have use of force issues, they have technology, they have all of these issues. So this vision, these 10 chiefs came together and said, let's create an organization also that would have the capacity to focus on, um, you know, research that would be useful for the field. That, you know, and to question conventional thinking, to develop standards, develop guidelines, and wouldn't be afraid to take on difficult, difficult issues. That that was kind of the vision, and um, and so you know that was ten, and you know today we're uh, over three thousand, uh, the different kinds of membership, um, you know to be you know from a city of uh, 50,000 or more one category and so forth but interestingly enough we have you know some cops who are members um they have you know this wasn't our idea but back then they had to have uh, they decided people had to have a four-year degree and and whether that's right or wrong i don't know but that was just the requirement but you know you know some of your listeners you know they they might be under the impression, oh, I thought you have to be a chief or I thought you have to be this or that. We have, uh, you know, regular cops. Um, it is a management organization in the sense that, you know, we we look at how do you manage things? Uh, we're not anti-union. We're not anti-labor. Uh, I got good friends and, you know, uh, head of uh, labor uh, uh, across the country. We don't always agree on issues, labor issues. Uh, but, you know, we find common ground. Uh, I remember your union leader out there in San Francisco. Uh, he was quite a character. Uh, what was his name, Jim? Gary Delanus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, remember once I heard him tell a story about the difference between cops and firefighters, you know, and that was hilarious, you know, at an emotional moment, I might add. But uh, but anyhow, we do a lot of interesting kinds of research. Uh, there's probably not an, a major issue in this poli- world that we haven't at least talked about. 
but I can give you some, you know, some examples of, for example, uh, we've written guidelines on electronic control weapons, tasers in 2005 and 2011 uh, for the Justice Department. We've written guidelines on body-worn cameras. We just finished guidelines on drones. Uh, we, we did a major project on homicide investigations. We looked at 10 departments, give them best practices. We help cities select police chiefs. We've done San Francisco. You know, we've done L.A., we've done Houston, Dallas, Boston, you know, Chicago. Uh, we, you know, in Washington, D.C. here, where our office is, uh, two individuals killed 10 people in 20 days. The Washington uh, sniper case, we, we did a whole study on that. Um, and we've written guidelines on use of force. Um, you know, some of them have been a little controversial. We got a little pushback. We've developed training based on those guidelines uh, called ICAT, Integrating Communication Assessment and Tactics. Um, you know, immigration issues, violent crime issues, we've written on sexual assault. Um, for the past four and a half months, I have six of us who have basically dropped everything they're doing to cover the uh, COVID-19. We do a daily report. Uh, it's pretty much, you know, really been very important to police departments that, you know, you know they, they don't know, for example, that for, the NYPD lost 45 members of their department to COVID-19, that Detroit lost their, their chief uh, homicide, he died you know, that departments have changed. We have covered this issue every day. It is like a daunting thing. Then we switched and we began covering George Floyd and the disturbances and then the, the reform things. So we're very much, you know, like in your face kind of organization that will get information out fast. We have daily clips that we send out. That's just a sense of what we do. Sure. And you put out a lot of information via these daily and weekly newsletters and special reports that I think are really well done. And you help with the best practice policy examples like you just talked about. And recently you produced information from chiefs on COVID related policing that you just talked about. And as far as reform ideas, um, you talk about issues on transit and use of force. What's the topic you're hearing about most these days? Is it is it COVID and, and what are the takeaways from that? Well, you know, I mean, COVID is, is you know, it, what what's interesting, Jim, is in 2007, we produced, I put, your viewers can't see this, but this is a publication that we put out on the pandemic, 2007. What is that? 13 years ago, we focused on the pandemic and you, you read that report. It's like you think it's 2020 because it's it talks about quarantine people. It talks about social distancing and, a, and an issue that we haven't faced, but we will face is giving out a vaccine. How you do that. Um, so, you know, the COVID issue is just as it's like, I mean, everybody lives with it every day. I mean, your listeners are like they're making decisions. You know, should I go to the grocery store? You know, should I should I eat at this restaurant? Should I do this? Should I do that? I mean, and the policing from a policing standpoint, they don't have a choice. 
you know, do I go to this call? Do I not go to this call? <laughs> right. And so it's 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 kind of really, you know, policing has had to change. I mean, like in Yonkers, New York, commissioner there, you know, I mean, this is how we get this information. Like he had all of a sudden he had 25 guys test positive in one area. So what does he do? Right. He's a boss. He's got to figure out what do we do? So, you know what he does? He takes his officers and he splits them up from two officer units to one officer units. Right. He sits down with the union. You normally would never be able to do this in 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 a normal time. The union would would grieve it. You can't do that. But this was offered. This is an officer safety issue, right? The officers, like in Detroit too, the officers were infecting each other, right. so you had to split them up. And and so you know, so COVID issue has been huge. And then the disturbances and George Floyd came. That's been huge. I mean, all of a sudden, we never were talking about tear gas. I mean, we wrote we wrote a report on managing mass demonstration. We didn't even talk about tear gas. Now, all of a sudden, departments are having to use tear gas and they're having to use, you know, less lethal devices. And I mean, it's it's really kind of we haven't seen these kind of demonstrations since, you know, for, um, you know, the Vietnam era, you know. And on top of that, you've got the whole police reform effort. We are just putting out a report. It'll be out. Uh, USA Today actually is running with it today. A big story. 48% of the departments in the country are decreasing their budget, right? So new, I interviewed uh, Mike Moore from LAPD. They're cutting his budget, $250 million. I interviewed Dermot Shea, the police commissioner of New York, cutting his budget a billion dollars. Wow. So at the very moment that this movement is focused on, you know, reform, Departments are cut. Uh, departments are having their budgets cut. You look at Seattle, and that the past six years, they have spent a hundred million dollars on reform of the Seattle Police Department. A million dollars a year for monitoring, which someone comes in, and that I mean, I, I saw this is this is a public record. So at the very moment that departments are being pushed to reform and so forth there's this movement to defund them say well you know we don't we don't want san francisco we don't want you to we don't want you to deal with the homeless anymore oh really it's three o'clock in the morning and and you who are you who are you gonna who are you gonna call a social i sound like gary delanus right (laughs) call a social service agency you call up hello yes there's a homeless person here uh, yes, our hours are 8.30 to 5, uh, and please do not leave a message on this line. Thank you very much. Okay. Is that what's going to happen? I mean, really. I mean, this notion of let's have other agencies do it, it's just, it's just like crazy. It, but like, have, you, have you been called by legislators, or are you going to appear before Congress to address some of these issues that on the one hand they want to defund, but then they're really not going to pull back on on any of these issues because no mental health professional is going to go out by themselves just in these situations you're talking about. No, but you know what I mean? It's not like police departments think, well, we know everything about homelessness. You know, I don't know if you know, do you know David Lazar? In sure. San you know, 
And he's like one of the smartest guys I know in terms of the, a lot of issues, but in the homeless issues. So one of the things San Francisco does, you probably know more about this than I, is they have they like they have like six people sitting around, you know, in in a center in San Francisco deciding who should deal with this homeless person. Oh, should we shun the cops? She says, oh. so it's not like police think we own this, but it's like they have to be part of the equation, of you know. And and it's like that dealing with. Here's another one, San Francisco issue, dealing with mental health issues. You say to the police, we don't want you to deal with that anymore. Oh, really? Oh, okay. So when this person is walking down the street naked, running up and down the street, and, you know, the person needs help, right? I mean, this isn't a use of force situation, but this person has to be, how do you get this person under control so he doesn't hurt himself or others? So... It's it's hard because you know what the problem is, Jim. Right now, it's it's just like it, I've never seen anything quite like it. It's kind of hard to have a, a a conversation like we're having because it's it's almost like this sense like, you know, that we just have to go in a different direction. No one really knows what that direction is. But when you're in crisis, what do, why do people call the the police when they're in crisis? No matter what it is, because they know that they'll respond. Mm-hmm. And so this notion that the that the problem, the what happened in Minneapolis, here, here's the disconnect. There's some people that believe that the problem, what happened with George Floyd, which is a horrendous crime, the, the problem with the Minneapolis police department is they're being asked to do too many things. What does that have to do with what happened to Mr. Floyd, which is a tragedy? Has absolutely nothing to do with that. It's a whole different issue. And and I don't even hear most, most now, now some people could disagree with what I'm about to say. And I respect that. They could say, you know what? We shouldn't be involved in homeless. We shouldn't be involved in drug addiction. We shouldn't be involved in dealing with the mental health issues. That should be other agencies. Reality is policing in, in cities for the most part is dealing with problems. They're not evenly divided. If you've got a homeless problem, my hunch, my, my, my hunch is, number one, he or she has mental health issues. Number two, they probably have addiction issues. And number three, they may be a victim or they may be potentially causing crime. In other words, they don't, they don't, you can't just say, oh, it's just this issue. The police are involved because they, they know this, that area. They know, they know the, they, and they may even know the name of the homeless person. Oh, that's Joey. Right. Joe harmless. He's a great guy. Or they don't know their name and they say, hey, what's your name? And they say, hey, where are you from? They say, I'm from Denver. They, Do your parents know you're here? No, I haven't spoken to parents. Hey, what's your number? Maybe I'll call your parents and maybe they'd like to hear. Really? Would you do that? I mean, that's what good cops do. You know, that's what that's why, you know, there's nothing better than a good cop. Yeah, and I think that's part of the problem of mission creep in that there are no other government agencies that have the profile or the the visual that they're out on the streets, that they're driving around looking for problems to solve, but the police are always at the other end of 911. And and so don't you think there that there should be uh, an intervention by some of these other groups? I mean, I think police agencies would love it if somebody handled the mental health calls or the drug calls or the homeless issue calls. But rather than give them all up, 
if if we do bring in these other agencies, we're still going to be riding shotgun with them, don't you think? Well, I mean, you know, when you say bring in other agencies, I don't. I, it's not like anyone's saying they can't be they can't take this off the the table, right? If someone comes, some agency comes in and starts dealing with the homeless people on the streets of San Francisco during the day, the cops will say that's fantastic. Right. You know, if someone sees people have mental health issues and they want to help, that's fantastic. I'm only saying, Jim, that I think that the the reason police are so important is they are fundamentally problem solvers and they know how to handle crises. I'll give you an example. I just interviewed five police chiefs. They, They are college, university police chiefs. Notre Dame, University of Texas, this place that. This week at South Bend, Indiana, Notre Dame, students will be coming back to go to school at Notre Dame. I'm thinking to myself, holy mackerel, that police chief, she has got her hands full. Because think about it, the Miami Marlins, right? Oh, let's start baseball. What a great idea. Okay, you were just in Miami. I was just there. It's the epicenter of the of the COVID-19 right now. It's like, it, it's so hot. You know, it, with, I mean, the, the infection rate is incredible. So Miami Dolphins, half the team, 14 people, they've got it, right? Why? I don't know, but now, you know, they, they can't play games. Now there you've got, you know, at these universities, people returning. And I'm thinking, how's that going to work? But you know what? The great thing about this police chief at Notre Dame, she's like, we'll figure it out. You know, I got my cops. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We'll go here. We'll talk to them. We're not going to be the social distancing police, but we'll tell the kids, hey, wear your mask. Don't do this. Try to do that. They're going to have games, you know, not at, you know, like 50. I'm just thinking to myself. That's the thing about good cops and leadership is they're problem solvers. You know, they step up. They don't go like, well, that's not my job. Call someone else. They say, you know what, we'll figure it out. And, um, you know, so I don't disagree with you, Jim, in the fact that can you, you know, can other agencies help out? I think police officers, here's what I think. I think police officers should be selected really carefully, and I think they should be paid really well really well. I'd rather have less police officers who are paid really well than a lot of police officers who, you know, aren't paid as well. And you have to, you have to, you know, you have to hire everybody. I think cops are like, they're almost like doctors in a sense. They're handling crises. They're making decisions, life and death. They're carrying the lock zone, right? Mm-hmm. Who would have ever thought that someday cops would be, you know, they, they went from, you know, arresting you know, to now getting people into treatment and saving people's lives. I mean, you know, in some cities in this country, cops will save, you know, two, 20 to 40, 50, 100 people's lives because they're carrying the locks on. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you bring up a good point. That, that's happening at the ground level, the street level. Your organization, PERF, um, speaks to the leaders of these organizations, and you have these great forums where you bring leaders together. How, how, how do you ensure or what do you say to these chiefs to, to bring those messages back down to the line level troops? Well, 
you know, I, I mean, I think that's really good. I mean, I think too often what happens is the, the department will create a policy and they'll think it's sufficient to just, you know, hey, here's our new policy. I mean, this is actually happening at the federal level and the state level and the city level. They'll say, we're going to ban chokeholds. Or in New York City, for example, they'll say, we are banning chokeholds and if you put your knee on someone's back, that is a misdemeanor now. So a cop in making an arrest, they're like, you know, they're very nervous about this. And so when things like this happen, when they make legislative changes or when chiefs make changes, there's, 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 it's not enough to just put it in policy. It, you've got to really explain it. And I think the, the most important people in the police department, in my mind, are those first line supervisors who are able to translate. If they, if they are educated and informed, now, if, if they don't know any more than just a policy, but if, they are, if they're brought into the loop and, and, the, and bosses say, hey, here's what we got to do now in San Francisco, we can't be doing this, we need to do this, and here's why we need to do this and this, you know, and then they bring them in. Those, that is how messages from the top get translated into the rank and file. But if you have a sergeant that doesn't know any more than the officer and then they get this all order and they turn to the sergeant, they say, well, what are we supposed to do now? And the sergeant says, I don't know. Good question. Right. That's it's bad. And we've written a lot on, you know, first line supervisor and the importance of you know, keep bringing them in. If you want to change your police department, make sure you've got, you know, your your first line supervisors as, as part of your team. But I think you make a good point, Jim, because there's a tendency for departments to just, you know, you know, like write this policy, it's 12 pages, and they probably had lawyers working on it and, and everybody. The time the cop gets to it, he's like, well, so what is, how does this change my job? Or what, what do you want me to do differently? And um, and I think really good departments, good functioning departments, recognize that it's not enough to write a policy, especially when it comes to tactics. You know, we've developed our ICAT training, Integrating Communication Assessment Tactics. And there's a classroom part and there's a scenario-based part, the second day, in which we actually put cops in these situations. You know, guy has a knife, how are you going to deal with them, right? He's got a knife, you're there. How are you going to deal with them? And then we put them in the situation too. And then when when people say, we're already doing it, like inevitably when you come in the police department, you tell someone, hey, we're going to do blah, blah, blah. You know, the first thing cops go, we're already doing blah, blah, blah. And you go, really? You're doing blah, blah, blah? Yeah. And you say, okay, that's good. Let me, here, that guy over there has a knife. Okay, how are you going to deal with him? Oh, Okay. Oh, all right. Well, all right. So, so show me what you got. What do you got? What, you know, cops, cops are, are really good at detecting BS. And so when I, when I talk about, you know, it's really important to have, you know, scenario based training. It's really important to put cops in positions so that winnable situations. So they learn, you know, they learn, I'm telling you the ICAT training that we do, Whatever pushback we got on our, 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 our use of force guidelines, we get zero pushback on our ICAT training. 
You know why? Because it gives cops options. You know, no cop wants to be in what's called a lawful but awful shooting. Lawful in the sense of, you know, Graham versus Connor, they did, they felt threatened. Awful, you know, like you get called to a house, mother says, my kid's off their medication. He says, well, what's, what's the matter? She says, well, he's up in his room. You go up to the room, you open the door, and the kid has a knife, and he starts walking towards you, and you, you give him bark orders, and the kid doesn't drop the knife, and, and then you got a situation. That's a lawful but awful situation. No cop wants that. So if we can give cops insight into options, in other words, if you still want to handle things the way you used to, you do that. And here's another way for you to think about it mm-hmm. so that you both go home safely, right? You go home safely and this kid either, you know, gets the treatment they need, but nobody likes to carry around that kind of situation, you know, that, and and it happens every day in America, unfortunately. Right. No, you bring up really good points in in policymaking and, and just dictating or issuing as an edict as opposed to selling it to middle management down to the supervisory level. And I like to say the the best army is a volunteer army. So I know you do a good job of bringing training experts in when you start to develop policies. And uh, if the chiefs can give that sort of background before they issue the policy, it's how helpful is that? That's really important. You know, I mean, it's really, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, some departments, smaller departments, you can do that it's easier because, you know, it's more personal, right? Everybody knows each other. Larger departments are harder. You know, you're you're having to appeal to a large audience. You're having to give them some background. They may not understand it. Um, they may, you know, they, they, they may not be any, they may not understand the reason for, for changing. Um, and some policies, you know, are more controversial and they don't understand them. They think, you know, they've heard, you know, this is going to get us hurt. But I mean, my, my friend, John Timoney, uh, who was a, he was in, um, he was in New York, uh, but he was uh, also Philadelphia Police Commission, Miami chief. He says, we have to keep cops out of trouble, meaning policies should be developed that are the right policies, but also, you know, to prevent cops from getting you know, in trouble. And by that, I mean, you know, for example, high speed pursuits where you're chasing someone for like stolen car, right? And you're, what do you got there? You got a stolen car. Whoever goes to jail for stealing a car anymore, it's very hard. But yet, if you think, you know, hey, the guy stole a car and the department has no policy and you wind up going you know, 90 miles an hour through a very congested area and you wind up either you dying, the cop, or the person you're chasing dying or some third party. At the end of the day, you say, well, was that worth it? So good departments develop policies to restrict that. And some people could disagree. Well, I think, hey, you know, person committed. That's fine. But from a management standpoint, it's about how do we get everybody to go home safely at night, things like that. Yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, that's why when I see departments sometimes that have not developed good policies and then the cops are being criticized, 
the cops get criticized when in fact what sh- the people who should get criticized are the department if the department did not give them the training if the department did not have a good policy you know i get called a lot by the media when there's some officer involved shooting and they you know they have the video and let's say the video doesn't look good and they show me the video so well, why did the cop do that inevitably what i say is at least at first glance, I don't know the details, so I can't really comment. What I can say to you is, for the most part, cops do what they're trained to do. So if you have a department that hasn't trained someone really well, hasn't brought them up to 2020 standards, and they wind up you know, standing in front of a car, pulling out their gun, get barking orders, and then the car comes toward them, and they wind up shooting them. So why did you do well? That was the cop was trained to do that. Well, you know, department doesn't have a policy prohibiting that. So that's why they did it. So one department could have a policy that prohibits one department doesn't. Mm-hmm. And do you fault the officer for doing what he was trained to? And no, you don't. I don't. I, I never in those situations, I say, you know, the problem is with seven, 17, 18,000 police departments, there are no national guidelines. There's no use of force or whatever. So therefore, what you wind up is some of these situations that um, that wind up becoming, you know, very controversial that could have been avoided. Right. And and right now, I mean, things are changing so rapidly. Sometimes you'll have a mayor or a city council that's taking weapons or tactics out of the hands of the officers. When there is a policy in place and uh, you you could be dealing with this situation the very next day. And I think in Seattle, they've received a lot of criticism in Seattle. And I don't blame the cops in those situations where they're stuck in the middle. They want to do the right thing and they're being restricted or there are these unusual circumstances. But in this case, where we have a lot of chiefs that are quitting this year, they're saying, "Okay, enough with the covid, enough with this. This whole new uh, hands-off method of policing, I don't want to deal with it. So we see a lot of retirements this year. But I, I think you have to hand it to, and I, I think Carmen Best is doing uh, the best job she can do in Seattle. And recently when city council and the mayor uh, told her that uh, we're going to restrict you from using gas, we're going to restrict your officers from taking weapons out in these riot situations, uh, the chief said, hey, OK, then hold on, then I'm going to re- re-instruct my troops on how to respond to these situations with the idea that she wasn't going to put uh, officers in harm's way with these reduced capabilities. What do you yeah. think? Well, I, 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 you make good points, Jim. I interviewed her for our daily and, you know, you got a situation up in Seattle and Portland, very similar in which these two cities, you know, are, you know, focused on how to manage these demonstrations and have have, uh, restricted the use of some of the strategies that police have found themselves using that, to be honest, haven't used for 25 years. Like no department, we didn't even, as I mentioned to you early on, no department, you know, is talking about tear gas. I mean, tear gas is like, you know, it's just not even wasn't a isn't a strategy. You put tear gas out there, it just confuses people. However, 
these circumstances, the police found themselves in totally unprecedented. I've talked to police chiefs all across the country. You know, they did not expect the level of violence they got. They did not expect the numbers of people. They did not expect the hostility and pushback. So what's happened is departments have, you know, been on on defense. Um, all the, the playbook about dealing, we've written on managing ma mass demonstrations, and those playbooks have not fit the reality of 2020. You know, you, you have people just, you know, throwing, and you know, uh, you, look, here, here's what you have. On any given night, what you'd have is this. 95% of the people demonstrating be totally peaceful, right? They come, then it starts to get dark, and then something changes. Some dynamic with this, some percentage of people in that group who are no longer demonstrating, they now have a different agenda. And their agenda is breaking windows, you know, fighting, throwing things at the police. I mean, in other words, the, the, the going from a very peaceful demonstration, which everybody is totally, uh, you know, supportive of their right, right? No problem. Suddenly, it's like throwing things at the police. It's like, you know, it's it's a very confrontational thing. Setting fires. So, so, the, so you know, the, all I... I no one ever expected the police to use tear gas, use pepper ball, or use any of this stuff, except that what what was so what was what do you do when people are breaking windows, breaking police? What do, what do you do? I mean, so what happened in Seattle is they actually passed legislation prohibiting uh, use of uh, tear gas or pepper ball or whatever. They, something similar what they're thinking about in Portland. So you think to yourself, well, what are the other options available for the police? And in New York, actually, the police actually got criticized by the governor. Cuomo said, oh, the police weren't doing their job. They broke all these windows. They, they, you know, complete, you know, same thing in Philadelphia they had. And so on one side, the police were getting criticized. Now, what happened in some cities um, is the police were completely you know, on defense, and they and and they reacted badly. In some places, they reacted badly uh, for whatever reasons. In other words, you know, I'm I'm not going to point fingers. I'm just going to say that there was a lot of problems on the side of demonstrators. The police were not prepared for it. They used you know what strategies they thought, and then they got critic. I mean, it was a it's been a mess. It yeah. has been a mess. But I think the point you were making is in Seattle, they suddenly say, you know, you can't use tear gas. And, you know, so from Carmen Best's standpoint, she actually wound up telling the business owners, say, look, here's what city council has done. We cannot protect your stores anymore. Because think about it, someone's breaking windows, right? What do you do with that person? You stand between them and the store, and then they start throwing it at you, or, you know, you go after them and you go hands on. So you go from tear gas to hands on. Cops are going to get hurt. Demonstrators are going to get hurt. So there's not a lot of thinking about this. It's almost like, oh, my God, no, no, we can't have them do tear gas. But the business community is, is upset because it looks like the police aren't protecting their stores. The demonstrators, the, 
who only want to, you know, the Black Lives Matter people, their their whole thing is getting hijacked by these rioters. Mm-hmm. So it's a really it's a really unprecedented situation. Uh, answer to your question is Carmen Best really, I think, was articulating the dilemma she was in. She's got cops. She doesn't want to see them get hurt. She's got, you know, political leaders who are, you know, uh, restricting what she can do. And and I think she did her best to educate, you know, everybody to say, this is this is this is the dilemma. I can't protect the business community. So um, it, it is a very untenable situation. But she I think she's done a good job navigating it. Yeah. And I think to her credit, not only did she tell the business community, we can't protect your property, but she's told her, her police, I'm not going to put you in the middle and put you at risk to protect uh, these businesses with less right. than all the tools necessary to do the job. Right. And, and I think I think in, in concluding here, I think it brings to point, you know, the chiefs are appointed at will um individuals and they don't have all the protections that a line officer or people in the department have with union protection and job protection and skelly and liebarger and all those other things that would protect you and so it's often difficult for them to speak out and so i think perf is doing a pretty good job at putting the issues on the table i'd love to see you in congress talking about some of these things about um, you know, the limitations. And and I think a lot of times when you have these legislators making these decisions, they're uninformed decisions. Yeah. A lot of times education is key. Education is, is necessary to tell them the real story and not just the story of these opportunists saying, let's just disarm and defund. Yeah, no, I, I, I think we're, you know, we're in a difficult period right now because you know, you've got this combustible mixture. You've got COVID-19, which is really challenging. You've got the disturbances, you know, what you had up there in Portland, and, you know, that was difficult. And then you got the whole defund movement. Look, I think everybody recognizes that, you know, policing is, is, is challenging. Uh, I wrote something about good cops, uh, which, you know, if, if your readers are... People listening, uh, I, I was really proud of that because I think, you know, they talk about, you know, the bad cops. And I think the bad cops, honestly, they hurt the good cops because, you know, every cop is just trying to do their job. You know, you don't see them. I mean, they're invisible, you know, they, but they got to put on their uniform every day and they, they got to answer these questions. You know, you know, what did you think about what happened? I mean, so they're they're weighted down by the by the bad cops but there's so much you know about policing that i love you know i mean to me i love a good cop you know they come in they they do their job they talk someone down someone's going to jump off the bridge someone's you know some lost kid hasn't seen her parents some active shooter situation in dayton ohio 24 seconds to stop someone before i mean I mean, policing do, you know, that's why I've been in the business, because ultimately, you know, they, they are, you know, they fundamentally are, you know, want to do the right thing. And um, I think we'll get through this, but we need to be smart and we need to speak up and we need to, you know, to do everything we can, you know, so that out of this comes good, because 
right now the narrative is, uh, you know, it, it's not it's not healthy. Um, you know, police don't mind, you know, change and reform, but it's got to be sensible. Yeah. Well, thanks. I've been talking with Chuck Wexler, the executive director of PERF, the Police Executive Research Forum in Washington, D.C. And uh, I appreciate it, Chuck, and I appreciate the publications that you put out and the best practices out there and you highlight individuals. Um, Thanks so much for what you do. Hey, Jim, you're a good friend. Say hello to all my friends in San Francisco. Keep doing a great job. You're doing good stuff, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, uh, what do you think? What's going on near you? Uh, We'd love to hear your feedback below this podcast, or you can email us at policingmatters at policeone.com. Policingmatters at policeone.com. Thanks for listening. Take care.